Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 16th of April, 2023, agonizing over the saints. We're continuing a, a study in the book of Colossians, and we're into chapter 2, seeing what Paul had to say some 2,000 years ago, and making application today. Paul has gone through his introductions in chapter 1, had some great prayers for the church there, talking about his ministry and the kind of things that God had called him to do, and now as he turns his attention to the church there in Colossae, he focuses in more on what he wants to say specifically to them. Let me read these uh, verses and then we will uh, make some comment about them. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, we, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am yet with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul begins by writing to people he hasn't ever seen. And that's what his statement here is in verse 1. He says, I am writing to those in Laodicea and all those who haven't seen me. They don't know, you haven't ever met, we've never crossed paths, you don't know us. And we don't know you. Now there were some who did know Paul, obviously. Uh, some who were carrying the message between Paul and the church, they knew. And there had probably been others, as Paul had ministered in that area, having been in uh, Ephesus before and having ministered in a city that wasn't too far away and doing that for a couple of years. There was probably people who had come and gone, who had heard of Paul and knew Paul. But for the majority, there hadn't been that kind of situation. But I want you to notice what Paul has to say here, even in this first verse. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea who have not seen me. He says, I have a great struggle. The word that Paul chooses to use is the word that we get in the English language to agonize. 
And actually, it was a word that came out of a, a setting that if we think about it for a few moments, we can picture it in our head. It came out of the games. It's a picture of an athlete who is striving with all of his strength to win the race. It is a picture of a weightlifter who is going for the record and, and how much he's exerting to lift that weight. It is the picture of a runner who after a great distance is now headed for the tape and they're putting it all out in order to win. And Paul says, I want you to know that I have a great struggle for you. And the word here that he uses is in the present tense. He says, I have this struggle. Basically what he's saying is this, I didn't pray about you and have concern for you last Thursday. No, what he's saying is, this is the ongoing thing in my life. I struggle daily and daily, day after day, for you. He said, well, why? Why are you agonizing? He says, because I know that you are in a spiritual battle. And I have great concern. I, I'm not with you. I can't be there face to face to, to encourage you, to build you up, to, to comfort you. I can't do those things. I can't put my arm around you. I can't spend time with some coffee around the table discussing what you're facing. I can't do that. And that causes agony for me as I want to be able to do that in your life. See, the church was struggling, and Paul knew it. They were faced with spiritual battles there at Colossae, and Paul couldn't be there to address them in person. And I got to thinking as Paul was talking about this, what kind of spiritual battles do we see in others that they're facing? And what is our response to their struggles? Or maybe better yet, what is, are you struggling with, with that you wish somebody was invested in, in you about? So I raise the question, do you agonize over the spiritual battles of fellow believers? And I don't bring it to be an indictment, just a question that I think Paul addresses here to the church at Colossae that we need to contemplate. Where do, we, where do we put our focus? What, how are we spending our time? What are we thinking about? Paul says, daily, 
day after day after day, you're on my heart. You're in, you're in my thoughts. You're in my prayers. I agonize over the situation that you find in your life and you're facing. He says, because this is what I want for you. And he goes on in verse 2. He says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word here that he uses in verse 2, that your hearts may be encouraged, pictures heart that is <coughs> discouraged. Paul is, is writing, he says, I want to be that coach that comes in at halftime when the team is getting swacked. And I want to be the one who will lift up your head and encourage you to get back into the game and to put all that you have into it so that you might win. We've seen that happen many times in sports. I especially like college football because you never can tell what's going to happen. But there was, there was a game played at the beginning of the 2017 season. I don't know if I should even mention teams because I'll probably get in trouble. But anyway, one team was ahead 38-10 to 10 playing football. Now, if you know anything about football, 38 to 10 is a big gap to overcome. They went in halftime being blown out. And the coach spent some time talking with them, encouraging them, saying, don't give up. It's not over yet. The game isn't finished. Don't, don't stop now. And by the time it was all done, the team that was losing 38 to 10 came back to win 45 to 44. It never looked like it was possible that they would win, but they wanted to be encouraged. And that's the word that Paul uses for the church there in Colossae. He says, you're in a spiritual struggle. I know that it's weighing heavy on your mind. You can get discouraged. You can get down as to what's going on in your fellowship and among the saints. And I'm here to say that I'm here agonizing over you so that you might be encouraged. He says that part of that encouragement is that you be knit together in love. Now we spend a lot of time talking about the, the heartbeat of the Christian faith being loved. Jesus said, you can summarize all the law by this. Love the Lord your God your, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That covers the law. And then he goes on to say, you, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love 
one for another. And Paul says, my prayer for you is this wouldn't divide you, but that you would be knit together in love. Rather than being divisive, this struggle would be seen as something that would bring you together, not divide you, not to split you apart, but to pull you together for a purpose that you might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. He says there is a richness that I want you to experience. And that is that of full assurance. We know what it's like to be rich. I mean, maybe not wealthy, but we know. I mean, we live in a society where if people in the rest of the world were to come and see how we live, they would go, wow, you guys are rich. But all of us have had too much month at the end and not, and not enough money to get there, right? Paul says, I want you to experience this, the riches of full assurance. There was something that they needed. See, there was a spiritual battle going on in Colossae, and that was... What really is the Christian life all about? Is there, is there more that we're missing out on? And there was many false teachers who had come alongside and said, you, you need to know that what you have heard is only part. We've got some special information for you. But Paul uses words that are interesting to me. He says that you might experience the riches of full assurance. I don't know about you, but in, in my car when I drive and, and the gas gauge starts to getting down to the E, I look at that and go, man, I need to get to a gas station. But when the little light that looks like a little pump comes on, I know they're serious now. But there's probably one of the little small pleasures of life is when you go to the gas station and you fill up the tank. Not in paying for it, that's another whole thing. But when you fill up the tank and you go, now I can breathe, now I can go. I don't have to worry about the car dying alongside the road because I've run out of gas. And Paul says, I want you to have full assurance. I don't want just to... Just a little bit measly part. I don't want the little light coming on saying your, your assurance is getting low here. He says, I want you to have full assurance. How important is that? He says, I want you to be fully convinced of your position in Christ. I want you to know without doubt 
I don't want someone come along and challenge your faith. And then you go, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not doing this right. And he uses three words in these two verses, chapter 2, verse 2 and 2, 3, where he talks about understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. And I'm not going to belabor these too much because we've already talked about them in the first chapter. But he talks about understanding, that's ability to assess the situation and figure out a course of action. He says, I want you to be able to, to look at what comes your way that you may be able to assess it and figure out the right course of action. He uses the word knowledge, and we've talked about there, that, that is having sufficient information and truth at your disposal that you can draw on to make those kind of decisions. And then he talks about wisdom, and that is the practical application of the above. What do I do in this situation? How do I put it into my life and make it work? And all those three work together. And Paul says, he says, my hearts, uh, my prayer for you is that your hearts be encouraged, that you be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, we ought to be growing in our theological understanding. Now I'm not saying you need to pick up a book on doctrine and, and read it, and especially something that's written by the Puritans. <laughs> that might be a little tough. But I said... You ought to know what you believe. You ought to know what the Bible says about who man is, what sin is about. You need to know about the character of God. You need to know what he has to say about the future. You need to know about the relationship of believers together in the church. You need to know these things. He says, because if you don't, then what he's going to talk about next, you're going to be susceptible to. So Paul, as he's writing to the church there, he says, I am agonizing over the spiritual battles you're facing because there were some who were saying, you know, Jesus Christ is this good as it gets, as far as it goes. But there's more. So don't stop with Jesus Christ. He's just a rung on the ladder to spiritual attainment. And there is mysteries beyond. I love it. Well, not really. But I understand it. That periodically there will be a news story comes out we found a missing book of the Bible. We found a new book that talks about the mysteries of spirituality. And what Paul is writing here, 
to the church. It says, it all must focus on Jesus Christ. It doesn't that Jesus is a rung up the ladder of spiritual enlightenment, but rather that he is the center and the focus of our faith, and it's in him that we need to know and grow. So the question that I have for you is, are you fully convinced that spiritual, true spirituality is only found in Jesus? Yes. Paul says, why am I concerned about this? He tells us in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, for though I am absent, uh, in verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible arguments is a term that is taken out of the arena of the courts. It is picturing someone like Perry Mason making a good argument says, man, that sounds well-reasoned. That sounds like that's really how things are done. Now, Hamilton Berger, if you're a fan of Perry Mason, Hamilton Berger is always making plausible arguments. He never wins a case, but because he doesn't have truth on his side. He only thinks that he has an understanding of how things go, but he doesn't really know. I wish all things could be resolved in an hour like they do, but it doesn't work that way, does it? But Apostle Paul says, there's a great possibility that you can listen to some of these arguments of these spiritual teachers, so-called, who are trying to tell you about a greater access to enlightenment, and it starts to sound plausible to you, starts to sound like maybe there's something to this. He says, and if you aren't fully filled, filled with the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, you can be sucked into this. And he says, so even though I am not close to you, that's what I'm agonizing over. I'm agonizing over the fact that you have people in your midst saying stuff that isn't true. And if you're not rooted and built up in Jesus Christ, you can fall victim to their arguments. So the question is, are you deceived by good arguments whose focus is away from Jesus? They sound plausible, they sound good, but they're pointing in a different direction than Jesus Christ. And you are susceptible if you are not prepared for them. 
If you're not filled up with the person of Jesus Christ in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, then when these arguments come, you may buy into them. And Paul says, and even though I'm not near you, I can see that that has happened in the church. I don't want it to happen to you. And so he concludes this section by saying, for though I am absent in body, I'm not there, as you know, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He says, I'm rejoicing. He says, church, you make me happy. I'm delighted. I'm full of joy. Because I see you doing exactly what I desired for you to do. And that's growing in your walk with Jesus Christ. He talks about two terms here. Your good order and your firmness of faith. This is an orderly manner. Manner. You know, it takes some time for that to happen. Take some time. Think about growing in your Christian life. Did you have a systematic theology built up in your head? Did you have a framework that you could plug everything into so that all the pieces fit together? Some of you are going, oh, of course. No, you didn't. You learn like everybody else learned, a little bit here, a little bit there, from this person, that person. And you go, how does this fit? How do these parts go together? Apostle Paul says, I am delighted to say that I see that there is an orderly manner to your understanding. In other words, you see how this part over here goes with this part over there. It's just like when we got to Christmas time and we started going into the prophecies concerning Christ's first coming. And we took a passage in the Old Testament and saw how it was fulfilled in the New Testament and we put those parts together and those linkages then start to make sense to us. We see that this didn't just happen that Jesus showed up on the scene some 2,000 years ago and there was no prep. But God had planned from before the foundation of the world to send a Savior. And he outlined it over and over again. And as we spent some time looking at those things, we could see, oh, I see. This was a master plan put together over time. And this link goes with that link and that. I get it now. Apostle Paul says, and so it is with your spiritual life. You may have started out with, Jesus loves me, this I know. But now how firm a foundation we're singing, we're talking about all these other things. He says it's good order. And then he says, and your firmness of faith in Christ. And the idea here is you have been strengthened. You have been fortified 
in your knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Jesus Christ. So when these false teachers start spreading their, their stuff in front of you, you go, no, 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 no. Doesn't fit the picture of Jesus Christ, hasn't That's got to go, no. You've been fortified. You have been strengthened. Which brings us to the third, the fourth question. It says, do you find joy in the maturity of other believers? You know, I, I read this and I, I was thinking about my prayers and the things that I'm thankful for. And sometimes we're thankful for God meeting our needs in one way or another. But I was thinking, do I really get excited? Am I thankful to the Lord because I see someone having spiritual victories in their life? That I can rejoice with and I can be thankful to God because I see that there is growth there is increased understanding, increased wisdom, those kind of things. Now you know as well as I do that the road on maturity is a bumpy path, isn't it? Mm. It isn't like rocket ship from here to heaven. No, no turns, no delays, no speed bumps, no nothing. Just doesn't work that way, does it? We're constantly running into situations. And Apostle Paul says, I take delight in that as you face one, and then the next one, and then the next one. You're growing in maturity. You're taking in some more insight. You're applying it to what you know. Their pieces are going together. There's good order here. And you are making progress spiritually. He says, and I rejoice. I rejoice. I tell you, in the life of ministry, I don't talk about what I do and I don't talk much about my personal experiences because I won't blow any smoke in your direction. But some of the things that give me the greatest pleasure is to see somebody struggle and come out the other side victorious. Mm -hmm. Some of the most disheartening things to me is to see somebody come against the problem. And although we're there to encourage and build them up and help them get through it, if they, if they would call on us or, or, or what is to see them fall. That is a tough thing. And Paul says, I want to, you know, I'm delighted in what's going on in the church. Were they without struggle? No, he starts with saying, you've got struggles. You haven't arrived. You're not on the doorstep of heaven yet. 
But I see you climbing over that rock and getting around that boulder and making progress in your spiritual life. Man, that's good. That is good stuff. So we see these statements that are made by Apostle Paul that speak to issues of our life, don't they? We see that we're involved in struggles. Are we mutually encouraging one another? Are our hearts knit together in love? Do we desire for them to succeed? Do we? Is that where our prayers, that's where our struggle, that's where our agony is? Because I'll tell you this truth. You may not be struggling today. And I go, that's good. But you may be in the thick of it tomorrow. And somebody that you're helping today may come out the other side tomorrow and be there for you. And Apostle Paul says, and I'll tell you what, that will knit your hearts together in love. Why? Because we're all in this together. We're in this together. Paul says, and that is my prayer, that we come together through this, growing in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and building up one another. That's my prayer for you too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of Apostle Paul to the church at, Cor at uh, Colossae. And then, by application to our hearts as well. For just like the church in Colossae, we struggle too. And we're thankful that you have given us resources in your word and in the lives of other believers. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of our Lord, and the love of the Father to see us through until we come into the presence of the Holy Trinity in heaven for eternity. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.